0: Market. The, the ISX stops. This is Motley Fool Money.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that believes one trillion apples a day. Keep the doctor away. I'm Scott Phillips and with me back from Canada. To the great relief of all of our listeners who had to hear me bang on for an entire episode with a few introductions from Liam last week is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. day, Doc.
2: Good day, Scott. I'm happy to be back. Well, I don't know whether, the, you know, the, the, maybe the, the, um, the listeners will think that, you know, they are better off with you.
1: So. Mate, I'm, I'm very, very sure that listening to me do nothing but talk for half an hour is not what anybody wants to do. I got some nice thanks on, on Twitter for the for the episode we did, and I think I was mostly out of politeness and people feeling sorry for me. Mate, I am, I am personally glad to have you back, and I'm sure our listeners feel the same. Glad to be back. We've got a full podcast already lined up today, mate. We've got Apple's March to the $1 trillion mark. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, We'll talk about, speaking of uh, Apple and speaking of how or maybe what's stopping it getting to that mark are buybacks. And we'll talk about CSL's buybacks. And also on the buyback theme, Rio Tinto and its recent results. We'll also touch on reporting season and... I will invite you to get on your Canadian high horse and give us a bit of a glimpse of what you were thinking while you were half a world away. All right, let's get into it. Doc, overnight, we're recording this on Friday the 3rd of August, and mm-hmm. overnight, Apple shares closed with a value of $1 trillion, That's with a T. That's almost the number two bizarre to try and contemplate, $1 trillion. The largest company on earth, the first company to get to a trillion bucks and close there. What can you tell me about the value of a $1 trillion market cap, what does it really mean?
2: Well, okay, so I'm going to... uh, Okay, so market cap is calculated as the total number of shares outstanding you multiply that by the share price and whatever value you get, that's your market cap.
1: Right, so the price of a pizza is the price per share multiplied by the number of pieces. Exactly. Total value of the pizza, we do the same with market cap.
2: Exactly. All so right. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll add a caveat. Apple is the first US company to hit um, oh, $1 trillion. Okay. The, uh, well, this is, this is the story and nobody really knows exactly. And this, <laughs> um, Tell me the
1: story though, I, the, I don't know
2: this. The the In 2007, briefly, PetroChina, Apparently oh. hit one trillion. No, it's it there says apparently because people really don't know whether what the total number of shares outstanding were for that company. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's not known, but it's assumed to be one trillion and pe- So we'll call this the first official one, will we? Well, we can call it the first official public market, you know, maybe something. Right. of thing. Um,
1: <laughs> Close enough. And, uh, yeah. You're an Apple fan. You've got to be pretty happy with that. Well,
2: I'm an Apple fan. Happy well, an Apple shareholder is one of our larger holdings. So I'm nice. very happy about that. Congratulations. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's been an outstanding run for this company. From now, we'll call you the trillion dollar man. Well, I don't own all the company. <laughs> uh, apparently, Warren Buffett owns a lot of it.
1: So. He does. He does, as does uh, Steve Jobs' estate. So, okay, trillion bucks. I mean, look, there's some, there's some value in being the first ones there, right? There's some value in 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 at least it's some mark of success, right, if nothing else. Round numbers are kind of entirely useless. Not even kind of, they are entirely useless. But it does, we're humans, and we kind of like to benchmark and use heuristics and rules of thumb and shortcuts to kind of help us understand the world. A trillion bucks is just an extraordinarily large amount of money. Now, speaking of which, and at really good timing, and it was uh, partly because it was happening or about to happen, Darren Pryor on Twitter, who's at Darren1Pryor, sent us a tweet, I sent me a tweet last week, and he said, I'd still love to know how a then, nearly, now actual, $1 trillion market cap company can grow without sucking in the GDP of a country. For example, Apple. Why is Buffett so in love with something so huge, and how can he expect growth? Now, two questions there, mate. I'll ask you how Apple can grow from here, given how big it already is. Mm -hmm. But also that question of, isn't, isn't any company... Uh, you know, People have been saying this about Berkshire for a while. Eventually, it's going to get to a certain size where it can only really track the world economy because it can't compound much more than that. Otherwise, it eventually takes up the entire world. Mm-hmm. How can we expect a trillion-dollar company in general? We'll get to Apple on a sec. How can a trillion-dollar company be ca- – how can it grow from here without subsuming – you know, how do we not end up with Apple owning the world? What, what, is, what is going to happen to let Apple grow – without effectively getting too big for its market. Mm.
2: Uh, so, so that's a fantastic question from Darren. Um, I have probably convoluted answers for that.
1: <laughs> so, so I'll pre- let's, let's try and keep it simple. It's Friday morning. <laughs> so I'm a so, simple man.
2: Uh, I'll preface by saying that, you know, maybe in the last 10 years, the mm-hmm. Apple shares have probably, what, eight bagged or nine bagged or something. Like that. So the nine mm-hmm. bagged means it's increased ninefold.
1: That's pretty good. Uh,
2: that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't expect it to do that in the next 10 years. Right, okay, okay. <laughs> right? fair warning. Uh, that's fair warning. So my expectation is it's going to be a, a handy market beater, which is right. probably why uh, um, you know, Warren Buffett owns a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Now, t- to answer the question of you know how large and can large companies grow, right. uh, I'll just add this. Um, the revenue this quarter for Apple mm-hmm. was US dollar 53 billion. Okay? That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> but what's, f- what's fantastic here is that was 17% up. Over the prior year. Okay. So, big company can grow. But, but
1: how much longer? To Darren's point, let's maybe it can double from here, right? But at some point, doesn't it just get too big for its market? Is, isn't isn't there a natural limit to any company? Not not even Apple. Any company. Berkshire Hathaway to, to take the take the the Appleness out of it. You know, isn't isn't any company? You know, Buffett's. Compound at twenty percent a year for fifty years. At some point, that becomes bigger than the world economy. Right
2: at at some point, but but I, I think for Apple, I think what's interesting to note here is that Apple is uh, owns only about maybe twelve to thirteen percent of the smartphone market. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, Android has by far the largest share. The, if if you hold Apple shares, you would have to believe that over time, Apple is going to take share. Um, as you know, more people join sort of the upper middle class in other countries. You know, and and it's got Apple's got a, a very interesting business model, right? Mm-hmm. I, I call it the sort of the type of razor and blade, where in, instead of selling you the um, so razor blade model, as as people would know, you sell the razor for free, and then you you know you make money on the blades. And you know Gillette has been doing this for ages, right? Yep. Um, a, a, convert, a slightly a, a slight twist on the razor and blade model here mm-hmm. is that you know people once you get hooked to the Apple way of doing things once you buy an iphone or an ipad or an apple watch Mm -hmm. or something or a mac you you get used to the apple operating system Mm -hmm. once you get used to the apple operating system you essentially are hooked onto it and you are going to then buy um more razors in this case it would be more iphones more ipads more watches more airpods and then not just the hardware which is high margin hardware but you're buying high margin software right Right, and and this can just
1: continue. Just, just, just like, you know, most people would say, "Hang on, I'm not buying the software. I get the software free with the hardware." So just, just unpack that a little bit. What, what high margin software are you buying once you bought an iPhone?
0: Right.
2: So you you might have you might be buying apps. Right. You might be getting subscriptions. And Apple
1: get a cut of those, right? And
2: Apple's going to get a cut of those, and right. those are like high margin in the sense that I mean, you know, it's, uh, on some of the subscriptions, it's hundred <laughs> percent. Everything falls to the bottom line. <laughs>
1: well, they get is it thirty percent of the app price that goes to Apple? Yeah.
2: So it depends on, on you right. know, thirty percent is sort of the. Thing. Thing, but, uh, I mean, for some subscriptions, they get a little bit less, maybe 20%. Okay.
1: But either way, they don't, it costs them almost nothing to add an extra app to the App Store, right? Exactly. So, once you've covered your costs, every new app that gets sold, it kind of comes at almost right. zero cost.
2: Right. And, 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 uh, and you know, there are some fascinating numbers here. So, I mm. mean, one thing to keep in mind is uh, Apple is probably the largest consumer subscription business in the world. Right. 300 million subscribers which is up 60% That's year sizable. over year.
1: <laughs> the monthly forward like to have three hundred million million subscribers I can, I can understand the appeal of that.
2: Yeah. So so I mean it's got a fantastic machine there. Right. It's got you know um, lots going on and lots of market opportunity and other things that they've done like Apple Pay, mm. um, home automation, mm. Siri. Um, and they're spending like crazy, right? In billions of dollars, but which is a small percentage of the revenue, uh, because they've got so <laughs> much revenue. Enough, exactly. Um, so you know, the, and we're forgetting like unlike other companies which talk a lot about their R and D, and you know, <laughs> they're going to become machine learning champions and yep. things like that. I'm talking about Google. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple doesn't talk about its future roadmap, mm-hmm. right? But I'm pretty sure and confident mm. knowing how successful Apple is and Apple is a hit machine it it mm. generally doesn't have a flop yeah. um, that they're spending well their own, on their R&D maybe they'll do some you know augmented reality glasses uh, autonomous driving maybe robots at home mm-hmm. um, yeah so I, I feel very com- comfortable owning Apple as a cornerstone position mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and Warren Buffett feels so too. <laughs> I
1: don't think they call it a cornerstone position, but that's okay. I will I will add to, to your answer, mate, just for, for Darren for a second, just to say, Darren, I, I think what I would encourage you to do, and I've been victim to this exact problem before, so I, I know exactly where you're coming from. I've I own a lot of Berkshire Hathaway as a proportion of my portfolio, and I've certainly thought the same thing about that company. I think it's worth you're you're absolutely right. That there is, you know, if we look at 50 years time, can Berkshire grow at 20% a year for 50 years? Can Apple grow for 20% a year for 50 years? No, it can't, of yeah. course not. The, the, that though is very very different from can I get a significantly market beating return over decades owning these companies, and I still think the answer is potentially yes. Now no guarantees for either company, but the, the kind of idea that you know if Apple is to double every five years, for example, let's just pick that as a as a broad number, it's worth eight trillion dollars in twenty years time. Now that's a lot, but again to Doc's point, if the market grows, if its market share grows, if it goes into more categories, you know c- can it grow to the sky? No, you know w- will it ever be the size of the world's economies? Of course not by definition but it kind of doesn't have to be for you to do very, very well. So it's a really, really good academic question. It's very, it, it reflects well on you, Darren, you're asking that question and thinking about exactly that problem. I just think it's, it's kind of so far away that maybe to some degree the, the kind of the, the intellectual exercise might actually distract you from what otherwise might be a very successful investment. We could have asked the same about Berkshire 10 years ago, 20 years ago, could it possibly keep doing this? No, and has it? No, it's actually the, the, the growth rate has slowed somewhat. But over time, if it continues to beat the market, It's kind of a secondary question, right? Absolutely. And again, it doesn't mean you have to own either of these two companies. You can still go and find stuff that's going to grow more quickly if you can find it. But I would just encourage you not to think too – theoretically too intellectually about it at some point if you don't believe it can beat the market by all means sell the shares if you want to but in the meantime i think there's plenty of room left for some of these big companies to get much much bigger i'd include all of the thang stocks i'd include the berkshire hathaways um there's, there's plenty of companies that just even if they can't you know own the world economy can still get much 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 larger
0: motley fool money financial advice for real people not trust fund hippies sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m Now, Doc, I'm going to ask you one last
1: question about Apple, Mm -hmm. and it's one we've talked about in the office before. Mm -hmm. The the headlines or the the, the stories go like this. Apple would be a trillion – or it is now – Apple would have made a trillion-dollar company quicker if it hadn't bought back all those shares. And I kind of had a laugh, and you kind of had a laugh. Now, at some point, you say, well, hang on, if there were more shares, and the shares were 200 bucks a share, which they kind of are now, if there were more shares, then the company would be worth more – so on one level, for the for the kind of the the, the journalists who've been writing this story, it kind of makes some basic intellectual sense if they're not particularly financially savvy. Mm-hmm. Two hundred bucks a share, less shares. If there were more shares, then at two hundred bucks a share, the company would be worth more. Mm-hmm. That seems to be relatively simple maths, but it's misleading maths. Tell me why.
2: Okay, so uh, you know, let's say my company makes hundred dollars uh, a year yes. right? as as earnings, and there are hundred shares. Then so, you know, every shareholder gets one dollar
1: you got one dollar share yep yeah got it
2: now suppose somehow the company buys back 50 of those shares yes and every shareholder now gets two dollars
1: yeah. right but it's so, only
2: 50 shares but not only 50 shares right. but you would expect that companies uh the the valuation multiple that people are willing to put on it mm-hmm. should be higher right because now the earnings per share is higher right, right? and and in Apple is a good one here because you know, as I said revenue went up seventeen percent earnings per share went up forty percent yeah. And some of that was, of course, operating leverage because, you know, it doesn't cost as much. You know, a lot of things fall into the bottom line, but share buybacks are a big driver here. Yeah. So, um, share buybacks are a big driver for many big companies. Many big companies have done very well mm. uh, with, with share buybacks. Essentially, we're reducing the the share count. Therefore, mm. the current owners, long-term owners, have a larger piece of the pie. So
1: per share value goes per
2: up. Per share value goes up, right. and it essentially can continue going up. And And some Australian companies have done very well. They so, have.
1: Now, before we get on to one or a couple of those particular companies, I want to kind of tr- try and give my version of your answer. Just from a, you've gone bottom up, but I'm going to go top down. And Hopefully, between all of our listeners, they'll get one both. All- both of these mm-hmm. uh, that, that make kind of some sense to them. What I think's interesting about the Apple market cap story is that the per share stats are only really the result of some divisions that are done. It's kind of the it's kind of what's left over when the maths is finished rather than the starting point itself. Mm-hmm. The market cap is the value of the company. Mm-hmm. The per share price is just that divided by the number of shares yep. a, as, a, as a secondary calculation. If you're going to buy Apple outright, the question isn't how much per share would I have to pay? But how much cash would i have to outlay in total to buy the whole company yeah and that's where the that's where the number is a bit is a bit screwy right so to use your example of the company with um, 100 bucks a year in, in profits if i'm going to pay 10 times earnings for 100 dollars hundred dollars worth of profits i'm going to pay a thousand bucks right 10 yeah. times 100 is a 1, thousand so if i'm going to pay 10 times earnings, i'm going to pay a thousand dollars for that company it doesn't matter whether there's one share 100 shares 50 shares a million shares yeah. or two shares the value of the organization you're only ever going to pay up multiple of its earnings. Yeah. And so that's the value. So the fact that Apple's worth a trillion dollars is what the company's worth, whether it's half or double the number of shares, impacts on the per share price, yep. but not the market cap. Because the value of the company is where we start. It's a really, really important lesson, actually. It's a great example and great time to, to ask the question, because so many investors start from the bottom and work up, because that's the. it's hard to conceptualize a company that's worth $843.2 million, but you can kind of think about $8 a share, and it feels somehow easier, and it is but it kind of inverts the maths. It's really, really important mm-hmm. if you're buying shares. Remember, you're buying parts of a company. And so think about the company's total profit and total value and then do the division rather than the other way around. Yeah. Now, mate, so you you alluded to other companies, mm-hmm. other Australian companies. Tell me about one. You mentioned one this morning which I was flabbergasted by and maybe it just uh, shows my ignorance, but we'll let our listeners decide. Um, there's one particular Australian company that, that's done a lot with buybacks, a, very, well, a relatively well-known company, one that doesn't mm-hmm. often get people's in people's minds, it's not really a consumer goods company. What company is it? How many shares has it bought back?
2: Yeah, so I was also flabbergasted. Actually, I didn't know. There's a pretty large number. So the company is CSL.
1: Right. So <laughs> the
2: bloods company.
1: Right. So um, vaccines, blood, vaccines, products. blood okay. products.
2: Uh, company. They have bought back over the last decade, thirty percent, thirty percent of their shares. Oof. That's a phenomenal. One that's a third huge of, One third of the company. That is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So, so and and you know if you look at the share price, that has done phenomenally well as yes, well. <laughs> so and, and of course they've been growing earnings. You know they've got a stream, you know I would mm. say a, a, a wide moat on what they do. Yep. And uh, they've done very well with the buybacks.
1: That is amazing. So the CSL's are two hundred dollars. So funnily enough, and this is interesting too, and another reason why we could probably talk about mm-hmm. it, CSL and Apple have roughly the same per share price, mm-hmm. which also is a good reminder of why it's a folly to look at per share prices, right? Because if you just did that, you say, well, mm-hmm. this company is worth roughly the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's Clearly not the case. Um, uh, in fact, uh, CSO worth 88 billion dollars, and Apple worth a trillion bucks. So. <laughs>
2: Big difference you there. know, Scott, what drives me nuts is when somebody says, I, I, I would buy uh, that shirt and not this shirt, because that <laughs> shirt is expensive. It's $200. And I would buy that you know, $0.10 cent shirt because it's $0.10. Cents. I can buy more of it. That's completely wrong, as yeah. you have explained. Yeah. So Fascinating, too. I mean,
1: that, that buyback from CSL, really, really clever. One of the things that people often forget to do, and, or, or just the, and the market in general forgets to do, is really allow for what we call, in, in very wanky finance circles, the capital structure. Mm. In other words, how much debt or how many assets are on the balance sheet, how much cash a company's got. Apple has got a truckload of Mm-hmm. And in fact is even cheaper than it looks currently because of that cash mm-hmm. um, CSL in, in reverse not, not so much about the balance sheet but about those buybacks themselves shares in CSL tripled over five years which mm-hmm. is a very good result part of that is profit growth and part of that quite frankly is those buybacks you talk mm-hmm. about and it's kind of the hidden value creation on a per share basis because as you've already said there's the same pie being spread amongst fewer people yep. so everyone gets a larger share that that kind of is is, is shown in the share price and when people talk about the, the kind of per share price or the growth in that, it's tempting to look at that only versus earnings and forget about those buybacks, which as you say, have materially changed things. In fact, if you if you reverse the math you were talking about, mm-hmm. the shares would be worth about 150 odd bucks on a on a on a straight, you know, per yeah. share basis if there'd be no buybacks at all. So it really does add meaningfully to the to the company's value. A third company, an unlikely company when it comes to buybacks, mm-hmm. Miners aren't really known for their <laughs> capital returns to shareholders. Yep. They tend to be known more for, uh, you know, no 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 hole in the ground is a bad hole in the ground. They mm-hmm. tend to throw good money after bad and dig mm. bigger and bigger holes. But Rio Tinto has been on the buyback uh, wagon recently, mm. but also more maybe more headline worthy. Mm. Well, this is the point, right? Maybe the buybacks are more important, but what gets the headlines is the results that Rio has been delivering. But also maybe as importantly. The fact that shares fell on some very, very strong results.
2: That's true. What's going on there? That, that's true. And that's very, very interesting. I mean, Rio had very good results. So I think the first half results were up like 33%. Uh, that's that's good in anyone's that language. Is, you take fa- that. I'll take that. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and and they basically you know I think increased the dividend um, so a pretty chunky dividend increase, and uh, they're looking to do about a billion dollars in share buybacks. Okay, so, so
1: th- that's all true. Then yes, yesterday afternoon I saw a, an 4%, article. Four percent,
2: five percent down. Right. So
1: mm. on, on the monthly full website you, you pointed out Rio mm. Tinto it starts Rio Tinto Limited shares are down three and a half percent at the time of writing, mm. off the back of its half year results presentation, mm. and there was an announcement of a share buyback program. And you just said. They're buying back shares. I mean, that's good for share prices. Mm. You said they had a 33% growth in mm-hmm. in earnings. What is going on when a company can do so, both those things and still see their shares fall by 3 to 5%? So, um, yeah,
2: yeah. the market amazingly does not look what happened. It looks at what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> or, kind, of, kind of amazing, but also I, I'm, I'm, I'm hardened a little bit by that, I have to yeah. say. We, we all talk about you buying future and he's not past earnings. So yeah. I kind of encourage they're looking forward. But what is it mm. that was in that information that was so scary? So,
2: I, I think, you know, again, I don't follow miners that closely, but it, it, it appeared to me that in this particular case, their key driver was um, for the results was uh, copper. Right uh, and um, the copper prices, um, I, th- I think now are uh, have have actually. I think uh, I think they f- they are down re- with ref- with respect to last year about 10% or right. so. So if they're down about 10% or so, I think it's going to impact their mm. results coming going forward. Right. Um, and, and so that's the problem. I think the corporate is the headwind here. And uh, I mean, this, this company has fantastic assets. Mm. Uh, it's a long-term, very good assets. Um, but, you know, uh, the price is the price, and it's the commodity market, and the commodity market decides where the price is. And, and some of this has got to do with this issue around trade war and the right, U.S.-China right. trade war and so on and so forth. So a lot of sentiment issues may be involved.
1: Good point. Um, I'm I'm not a I'm not a commodities investor either, mate. And I have to say, part of the reason why is that these are horribly, horribly cyclical companies. And a cyclical company is defined for those who aren't so familiar with the investing term as a company that goes kind of up and down with the economic cycle. So, the economy has booms and busts. Uh, companies have booms and busts, and particularly commodities. And when we say commodities. Kind of, it's a it's a good a good word to use. A commodity to some degree, in the jargon, tends to be uh, an energy or material, so oil, gas, gold, platinum, copper, zinc, lead, tin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're they're known as commodities. The more important reason is that they're commodities because of exactly what commodity means, which they are completely substitutable. So a, a ton of iron ore from your mine is the same as a ton of iron ore from my, my mine. An ounce of gold from your mine is the same as an ounce of gold from mine, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. They are completely. Uh, interchangeable Mm -hmm. and so what that means is the the economics of supply and demand come to bear even more strongly than otherwise might Mm -hmm. apple and samsung phones aren't directly interchangeable at least in some people's minds and that's why apple can charge a premium similarly coke versus pepsi versus private label cola Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know is is it 375 mils of drink of course it is Mm -hmm. Uh, but are people going to necessarily substitute one for the other arbitrarily no they have a brand preference they are prepared to pay a premium for what they get what they perceive they're getting Mm -hmm. and that kind of matters so from a from a commodity perspective the cycles are not only economic but their price cycles based on supply and demand and we know that chinese demand has been continually rising yet prices have fluctuated pretty materially over the last decade because mm-hmm. the, the supply side has been really really variable and so as, as an investor if you're going to invest through the long term you've got to have a view on not only you know is the commodity worth investing in is the company a quality company? But also, what do I think the commodity price is going to do? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, there are very, very few people who have a very good track record of knowing what the answer to that question is. And so, as long-term investors, frankly, sometimes they easy to put things in the too hard basket. Just they're not, generally speaking, easy to manage. And frankly, most miners don't do a very good job of growing profits mm-hmm. over time either because of that, because every, as I said, every the only thing better than a hole is a bigger hole somewhere else. And mm-hmm. so, that tends to be the, the mining story. Um, with Rio, I think that's the outlook is the, is the challenge, right? We are coming off the back of some really, really high historical pricing. And the market is, I think, quite reasonably looking forward and saying – I don't think prices can stay this high mm. over time because there is much more likely to be more supply added if margins remain at the level they are now. So,
2: so, so, Captain, uh, Scott, uh, I'm going to ask you a question because you always ask me that question.
1: <laughs> so, I, I easier so, that way, mate. So, I can't so, be wrong so, if I'm asking uh, you the question. So,
2: so, uh, so I'm going to turn the tables and ask you oh. two questions oh, here. Oh, come on. Um, yeah, you know, Rio that's not has, fair. Yeah, that's we'll edit we'll this some, out later. Sometimes <laughs> sometime you got to do that. <laughs> so Rio's got first-class assets, a strong balance sheet, they're buying back shares. I want two questions to ask you. One, okay. are you a buyer of Rio shares? Yes. Uh, and two, yeah, if you were running Rio, oh. how would you buy the shares? There would you, you buy the shares on the market, or would you do an off-market buyback? And why would you do one over the other? What's the rationale here?
1: I have a feeling they're leading questions, but I'll do my best. Okay. So I look. I've already said I'm not a fan of of cyclical companies generally speaking. I think there are. I don't think I've ever owned a mining company. Uh, I don't intend ever to own a mining company necessarily unless the odds are particularly in our favor. I went very, mm. very close to recommending a gold company a couple of years ago, believe it or not, Interesting for Share mm. advisor, and it would have actually been quite successful, but I was too scared off by the industry. Mm. Um, the, the, the reality of, of Rio as a business is I don't think you can ever know where commodity prices are heading. Mm-hmm. I think what you can reasonably do is take a look at the range of, of long-term prices and costs have a reasonable sense about where the odds of success or failure are. So the closer – my general view on commodities is the closer a price is to a historic low or to the cost of production, and I'll get back to that in a second, frankly, because we know these things are cyclical, the better the chances that the future is bright. Right. Okay. And if you see a price that's around you know, a high-ish – not necessarily a record price, just a high historical price – the chances that that price stays high, given it's a commodity, given anyone can dig a mine and dig something up at a reasonable cost – Pretty low, and so the, generally speaking, if you're a contrarian investor, and I tend to be most of the time, uh, the the lower the price, the better the future prospects. Mm. And this is a commodity price, not share price. The higher the commodity price, the worse the future prospects are likely to be on average over time. So timing is a massive part of commodity investing. That's why I don't do it. Uh, but generally speaking, I think that's true. I don't like the iron ore price here. I think if you think about the costs of extraction, there are about fifteen to twenty bucks a ton in the in the Pilbara in WA. And when the iron ore price has got a four or a five or a six in front of it, that gap is just way too big. There are going to be more supply bought on stream because people can afford to dig at much higher extraction costs mm. and still make money. And that should increase supply. That should force prices down. If that economics holds, then no, I wouldn't be a buyer. I think the time to buy those commodity companies, if you're going to, and I don't, don't necessarily think people should, but if you're going to, is when prices are low. The oil price, the iron ore price, the copper price, the zinc price – Yes, they can keep going. Yes, they can be a lot higher for a lot longer potentially. And that's not, again, you don't want to try and play that timing game. You just want to put the odds in your favour. And putting the odds in your favour is all about making sure the, the price you're paying, is, or the price you're getting for the commodity, I should say, is low relative to historic standards because there's much more chance to go up in the future rather than down.
2: So you would buy uh, Rio when there is a recession? I
1: would buy Rio when the iron ore price is low, not necessarily when there's an economic okay. recession. So right. you, want, you want to put those things in your favour. Um, when the iron ore price is low, when margins are small, that's exactly when you want to buy because what happens next is those low margins push supply out. So people who are mm. high-cost producers say, I'm out, I'm done, we'll close the mine. Once they do... The supply falls, prices rise, mm. that's when the profits rise. So when the
2: second-rate producers disappear or start to disappear are under pressure, that's when that's, that's the time
1: to buy. a pretty good time, if you're going to do that. Okay. You asked cool. about buybacks, though, and I'll, I'll be very quick on this one. Buybacks are interesting. They can be done in lots of different ways, both on and off market, as you mentioned, Doc, and, and different companies, Tel, uh, Telstra in particular. I almost said Tesla. Telstra in particular. Don't say Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Telstra never buys back shares. <laughs> uh, Telstra in particular has a has a track record of doing this particularly well, actually. There's a lot of things it doesn't do well. Um franking credits are really, really important for investors. And there are ways that the companies can buy back shares that actually make a real difference. So we know that a franking credit is worth a lot of money if you're in a tax bracket that you can use those credits to offset your tax liability. In fact, they're worth more than actual cash, funnily enough. If I give you a dollar of dividends, you've got to pay a decent portion of that as tax and you should get some franking credit relief. If I just give you the credits themselves though, you can apply that entire credit against your tax bill It's not taxable by definition because it's a, it's a tax refund in another form. And so companies like Rio, and again, Telstra's done it in the past. I want to say Telstra did something like 80% of an off-market buyback, 80% of the value mm. was pay, paid three-odd bucks, $2.80 a share, something like that. Um, 80% of that value was actually a franking credit. So mm-hmm. in fact, it was the equivalent of like 310 dollars dollars in pre-tax dollars, even though they only had to pay $2.80 out to buy back those shares. That's a really, really tax-efficient way Mm -hmm. of doing it, both for the shareholders who are being bought out because they can use those credits, and for those who are remaining who maybe can't use the credits or simply want to hang around, They get a higher share price, fewer share count, and the company doesn't have to pay anywhere near as much money as it would if it bought shares on market. So very, very big difference there. In Rio's case, it's also slightly complicated by the fact it's dual listed. The shares Mm. are listed in the UK and in Australia. And again, the tax regime is different in those countries. So in some cases, it will buy back shares in Australia or the UK or issue shares in either of those Mm. two countries Mm. where it's most tax effective to do so. It is a whole lot of... To, uh, jurisdiction shopping which mm. i don't love from a public policy perspective but the ceos and cfos of companies and the boards of directors are obliged to do what's in the shareholders best interest and in that case it's a very very smart thing to do cool thank you did i pass
2: no oh, i think you do we should do this more often <laughs>
1: yeah. no thank you i, I much rather make you, uh, you you uh put you under pressure
0: real money advice from real people not just a couple of dicks with a porsche Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple
1: M. Mate, speaking of uh, of Rio Tinto's results, I I did want to – it's now the August 3rd. And for those people who've listened to us for a while or just been following the markets for a little bit, they will know that earnings season – in in almost air quotes, right? August is earnings season and February Mm. is earnings season – And it's earnings season for a very particular reason, and that is that if you're listed on the ASX and you have a balance date, in other words, your financial year or half year ends on June 30, you must release your results to the market within two months of the end of that date. So June 30 plus two months, that's August 30. Mm -hmm. Every company in the ASX with a June 30 balance date must release their earnings by the end of this month. Now, very few do it in July because, frankly, results are hard to compile and auditors and accountants and financial types are busy as little bees during July and early August. And we'll start in the next couple of days, if we haven't already, to see a whole raft of earnings start to hit the markets. there will be big, mm-hmm. big, big days. We'll look at and, and see which companies doing what, and what are up, what are down, and share price will jump and jig around, and financial types like us will write and speak a whole lot of stuff. In fact, next week's the uh, week after the program, we'll probably do a bit on, on that particularly. Tell me about this earnings season. If you look forward and think about August, what broad themes are you interested in? What are you expecting? What are you looking for? How are you approaching... Not so much the individual companies yet, but just the broad uh, earning season. What are you? What are you seeing? What are you thinking? What are you looking for?
2: Okay, so a couple of different things here. Um, most of the companies that we are interested in, say extreme opportunities, are uh, you know high growth small companies.
1: And extreme opportunities is a service you run for the Motley Fool. That is correct. Excellent, I like that.
2: Um, and uh, in so in that. Um, in our service at least mm-hmm. most of the companies report um, quarterly okay uh, right so uh, we've got a good sense of what's going on there um, and, and for these sort of companies we're always taking a five year view so it's not what's happening this particular earnings season that matter but okay. that said um, I'm, I'm watching a few broad things okay um, in the mid cap sort of to large cap end um, of ASX especially on the technology side mm-hmm. um, a lot of companies or quite a few companies look price for perfection okay um and what I'm you know these are all good companies solid companies but what I'm what I'm really interested in seeing is um sort of the results they report
1: just before you do priced for perfection is one of those financial terms mm. that we like to use mm. what what should what should a listener think about when they hear someone say something's priced for
2: perfection right. so uh, at a very high level they can just think high pes uh, you know high uh, high multiples basically okay. and therefore okay. they need to really um deliver solid earnings and you know and and sort of another way to think about it is that you know most of these big companies have been followed by a number of analysts mm-hmm. there are uh, you know consensus estimates out there in terms of how many earnings what should the earnings share per share be right. and if those earnings per share are not met Right, <laughs> then, trouble there's, then there's trouble. I mean, I mean, this is again all short-term things. You know, if the long-term story is okay, right. it doesn't really matter. But, uh, but you know, in on the short term, the, the the shares can be you know uh, hammered.
1: So right? I'm going to have a go. His price perfection kind of implies that unless the company delivers results that are absolutely in line with what the market expects, or maybe even better that the shares are kind of in for a shellacking if things go badly.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's, right. that's really what happens. A lot so people- Woolies,
1: Woolies disappoints the market, the shares fall a couple of percent. If something's priced perfection, you can expect <laughs> to see the shares fall 10, 20, 25 percent. Oh, maybe
2: 10, 20, <laughs> yeah, wow, okay. yeah, 25 percent. Right. So, so there are quite a few there. Um, so I'm watching those. Uh, and I'm okay. interested in seeing what's going on. A lot of these companies have, you know, some of these have international earnings and so on. So mm. um, there should be some benefit there. The dollar has fallen a bit. Sure. Um, so uh, I, I'm just watching the general trend there. That's one thing, I'm actually also interested in seeing what's going on with the retailers. Okay. Why is that? Um, uh, well, actually, a couple of different things, right? I mean, the uh, and when I say retailers, I mean the brick and mortar ones. Okay. Um, so, I've seen Kogan has got some good results that have come out. And Kogan shares have fallen. And it's being a Yeah. Fiction, yeah, yeah but, that was but, ugly. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, but putting that aside, I mean, they reported <laughs> some really good earnings um, yeah. or reports. And, you know, the revenue is growing. The earnings are growing. So well, online
1: retail is taking a sway. Exactly. Cetera, okay. So
2: I want to see what's going on and, you know, the JB Hi-Fis of the oh, world, okay. right? And I'm interested in seeing, you know, do they have staying power or not? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing I'm, I'm watching. Um, other than that, I mean, those are sort of the two main themes I'm interested in, right. in, 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 in seeing. Uh, do you have anything that you're watching?
1: I'm actually watching retail for a slightly different reason, mate. As much as I, I mean, I, I, we have recommended Kogan at Share Advisors, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping desperately that it's continuing to take market share. Uh, but I, but I think I'm actually, I'm actually watching retail for a broader economic perspective, and that is, I, it's a nice bellwether of what the Australian consumer is doing, mm-hmm. particularly discretionary retail. I, I have a, I, I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, as many of our listeners will know. Um, But I also have a view that the broad economic commentary we're hearing is very, very negative and unnecessarily so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I appear on Sky News Business occasionally, as you know, and one of the economists I have the the chance to sit with regularly is also a fellow optimist who who believes that the market is simply… Overestimating the negative news, the bad news, and missing a lot of the good news, mm-hmm. and so to some degree, whether that you know, the, the reality of that or otherwise is going to happen in retail sales, and so looking at the kind of broad, not just retailer by retailer, but overall, the money being spent in discretionary retail will be interesting to me to see the health of the broader economy is is, is frankly the first thing. Um, the one thing I will say I'm not looking for is, is kind of the knee-jerk response to any of these things. And I think as long-term investors, one of the things that we would love to impress on our listeners, if nothing else, is don't overreact to any one earnings season results, mm. right? So, yes, the trends are interesting. Yes, we want to see investment theses play out. We want to see whether companies are doing what we thought they would do or what they said they would do. Um, but it, there there's many, many a company who have... Been through the ringer and come at the other side very, very well, or have had temporary setbacks. Others, by the way, yeah, can be the beginning of the end. So it's important to be able to try and work out the difference, but we're not going to jump and jive around half a year's earnings. The, uh-huh. the future of these businesses, I've, I can't tell you the number of companies. Uh, I'll, I'll mention one that I own just for the sake of mentioning it Gage Rose Brewing, which I, which uh-huh. I bore you guys with regularly just for fun more than uh-huh. anything. I, I've actually lost a decent amount of money on the first tranche of those shares I bought. I bought them at 20 cents. They're now about. 12 or 13, though as low as five. So I look really silly for a long time. And I still look a little bit silly. Um, the ability of companies to bounce back from otherwise short-term, um, you know, I could have sold out everything when, at the bottom and that would have been a mistake in hindsight. Equally, there are other companies I should have sold at earlier and didn't. So again, you just don't want to draw too much from that. In fact, gauge yeah. rates have gone up two and a half times since those lows. Yeah. Um, selling out at that point would have been exactly the wrong thing to do. In other cases, as I said, we should have. So it's just, it's just worth thinking about those things, not in terms of what does that result actually do, but as you mentioned earlier, the outlook for the company mm-hmm. and then more broadly is this a one off good thing or a bad thing or is it part of an ongoing trend that that difference there is really really important most of the market doesn't care they just sell and buy indiscriminately mm-hmm. based on six months results that's actually good for us the the benefit the long term shareholder has if you've got the stomach for it and we should try and develop that is the long-term is our friend if we buy quality businesses despite some of those short-term gyrations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Give me a 30% fall and I'll buy the shares, right? You love a market fall, exactly. don't you? I do love a market <laughs> fall. <laughs> and,
1: that, and that's that's kind of the thing, right? That's I mean, most people miss that, right? When markets fall, the, the inexperienced investor or maybe just the jumpy investor will freak out. The experienced investor, the savvy investor and someone who's learned and it takes time and this is not a criticism of anyone who feels jumpy when market, when prices fall we all do to some degree but when prices fall if you've got quality merchandise you know the old, the old example of just a pair of jeans on sale 30% off you don't say I'm not going to touch those they're cheaper now you say oh great thank God I'll buy a couple of them exactly yet when shares are out we say the, we say the reverse right when the price goes up we, we, we're kind of tempted to love it and when prices fall we freak out You buying buying discounted merchandise quality merchandise is always a good thing
0: absolutely <laughs> Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I'm going to finish with a question. You have been
1: in Canada. Mm -hmm. You've been half a world away. Uh, Again, you you made your fault that our listeners had to suffer through half an hour of me last week, but you've redeemed yourself this week. What I am curious about is as I invite you onto your high horse, what did you see, feel, hear, or just kind of discern from your Canadian trip, if anything, that kind of gave you some insights into... Something investing. Were there any business lessons, any investing thoughts you brought home with you from Canada?
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I I was at a s- uh, small regional town called Saint John, New Brunswick, in, okay. in Canada. Uh, population maybe about eight thousand people. Right. It's really small. So one of the things I noticed there, and I've noticed this a couple of times, but you know, it really struck hard this time, especially in, uh, you know, if you compare that with Sydney, right? Um, the the malls look deserted. Stores look closed. Mm-hmm there doesn't seem to be much business out there. And it looks like, you know, people, the younger people from the cities are sort of, you know, these small cities are sort of migrating to bigger cities, looking for jobs and so on. So, uh, what I was thinking is that, you know, if you're, say, an investor in, say, property, for example, Mm -hmm. if you're investing in um, a property investor, then it's not really a good place to be because, you know, you're essentially investing in falling prices. Or if you're investing in, in REITs, Um, that uh, invest a lot in sort of, you know, maybe uh, second tier or third tier sort of regional centers, Mm. um, then that doesn't really look really good okay um so that's at least one of the things i was thinking about is that you know this and and maybe in australia we're sort of kind of immune to that because we don't really have cities of this size maybe it's a good thing Mm. um we're more urbanized than um than maybe canada but canada's Mm -hmm. got many smaller cities so you know that was an interesting thing that i thought you know not maybe directly investable but yeah if somebody's investing in REITs, maybe something to consider that's interesting, actually.
1: I think it's a really good point, Doc. You, you see, and we, ha- we have had that in Australia to some degree. We know the country's emptying out and people are moving to the city as a general <laughs> theme. Um, interesting to see. In a, in a country and an economy that's really not unlike Australia, Canada has a lot in common with Australia, from market structure yep. through to core uh, housing and resources booms, a whole lot of stuff. It's not not a carbon copy, but it's not that dissimilar. Yeah. Um, to your point, if, if that's continuing to happen there, and I think also maybe... To your point, you mentioned retail earlier, the combination of of people moving and also, frankly, the consumer dollar moving might give some people pause if you're thinking about some of those um, REITs, some of those businesses that are maybe in the country or, or susceptible to declining customer numbers. And we know retailers you know, a five percent fall in retail numbers can be the difference between profit and and, and frankly It's a like, disaster, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as much as five percent doesn't feel like a lot, because you've got huge overhead costs, you've got a, yeah. you know, a little bit of volume per store where there's lots of stores. It doesn't take much for a for a prosperous growing business to all of a sudden turn south very very quickly. Um, so maybe it's those regional shopping centres, regional stores you'd be most worried about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, that does wrap us up. Welcome back, Doc. Thank you for rejoining us. You'll be back with us next week, which is exciting. Uh, Before we go, don't forget, you can subscribe to Motley Full Money via Triple M uh, through iTunes or use your favorite Android podcast app. Maybe an extra shout out for iTunes this week, Doc, Given Apple's trillion dollar market cap. iTunes! They don't make any money out of our podcast, but they they are generous enough to host us and we appreciate it. And if you like what we're doing, please do give us a five-star rating. It will help other people find us and it'll help our podcast rise up the rankings just a little bit and make sure that more people get some foolish goodness as well. Well, that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on.
0: Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.